This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of In Focus. My name is Anna Walker, and I'm a director for EMEA in our global risk analysis practice. We're here today to discuss the changing security dynamics in the Sahel, focusing in particular on trends in militant and kidnapping activity, and to explore what this means for businesses operating in the region. I'm joined by my colleague, Ulimata Soumare, our lead Sahel analyst based in our Dakar office. Hello, Ulimata. Hello, Anna. Thank you for having me. Lovely to have you with us. And I'm joined here in London by Michael Barty, our Special Risks Analyst for EMEA. Hello, Michael. Hi, Anna. Thank you for having me on. Let's get straight into it. Ulimata, could you set the scene for us? Could you start by giving us an overview of security dynamics in the Sahel? So a lot of things have happened in the Sahel in the last year. But one thing that we can say without a doubt is that the Liptako-Gurma, which is the tri-border region between Mali, Burkina Faso and Niger, remains the epicentre of the militancy. The bulk of attacks carried out by groups affiliated to Al-Qaeda in Mali and the Islamic State in the Greater Sahara continue to be recorded in central Mali, mostly Mopti and Segu, in northern Burkina Faso, mostly the Sahel region, and in western Niger, Tilaberi and Tawa. In the last few years, this area has really remained a safe haven for militant groups, with attacks against national and international forces recorded almost every day. In fact, Despite counterterrorism operations, the security environment in the cell has continued to deteriorate. While these operations have translated into a decline of large-scale attacks against militant camps, the high-profile operations targeting the leadership of Islamist militant groups has not really improved the overall environment. One consistent security trend that we have observed in the last few months is the large-scale massacre of civilians. According to the International Federation for Human Rights, 2020 was the deadliest year for civilians in the South, with over 2,400 casualties. Impunity and human rights violations by militant groups, but also national and defense security forces, continue to pose a threat for communities across Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger. In the last three months, the series of large-scale massacres recorded indicates that 2021 is well on course to break this terrible record. The key takeaway from this trend is that the military-heavy strategy has reached its limits. The second trend that we have observed in the last few months, or at least in the last few years, is that there's an increased use of improvised explosive devices, including vehicle-borne improvised explosive devices. The modus operandi of militant groups for large-scale attacks continues to include IEDs. And in August, for instance, the deadliest attack against the Malian army included a booby-trapped van that exploded in Boni, killing at least 15 soldiers. The most concerning part of this trend is that despite pressure from international and regional forces, militant groups continue to adapt, and well-established units in the tri-border area are now able to transfer technical skills to smaller cells in new regions. In September last year, for instance, we recorded the first ID attack in the Sikasso region of Mali. Overall, the security response fails to yield the expected results. And there's growing popular disgruntlement with both local military elites and international partners. The last trend that I would like to touch upon briefly 
is the emergence of new militant fronts, particularly in the tri-border area between Mali, Burkina Faso, and northern Côte d'Ivoire. We will talk about the threat of expansion later on in this podcast. This is definitely an important development that will impact Sahelian communities, business operators, and humanitarians. Thank you, Olimata. It's clearly a worrying situation. Perhaps turning now to Michael, how are we seeing this evolution in the security environment translate into kidnap risks? Historically, the Sahel has always been one of the highest risk locations in Africa for kidnapping. This is down to the presence of a sort of fairly wide variety of threat actors that, which engage in, in kidnapping. You have your, your criminal groups, local community groups also use it as a tactic. But the, the primary driver of the kidnap threat comes from Islamist militant groups operating across the Sahel who use and, and have used, at least since the early 2000s, kidnapping for ransom as a, as a form of revenue generation. They have a fairly well-established, or certainly have developed a fairly well-established infrastructure and network to engage in kidnap for ransom. And, and while the, the groups have, have changed and altered over the years, they've nonetheless retained the, the ability, the capability and the intent to use kidnapping for ransom as a tactic. Motivations for kidnaps can vary. While the financially motivated kidnaps are the kind of primary driver of the, uh, the crime, both militant local community groups and criminal groups use kidnapping as a means of territorial control. So they'll often abduct individuals that they suspect of working on behalf of security or government forces, take them to an isolated location, interrogate them for a period, and then release them if they're satisfied that they aren't working for the individuals that they suspect them to be working for. One of the unique features of kidnapping in the Sahel is the, uh, the, the long durations of kidnaps that we've, we've recorded over the years within the region. When you look at kidnapping in Africa more broadly, and this is particularly true of the kinds of uh, criminal, financially motivated kidnaps, which tend to be the most common type of incident that we record on the continent, most kidnappers are often under a degree of financial and operational pressure to conclude negotiations quickly and then release the victim. So most kidnaps tend to last less than a week. In the Sahel, kidnappers aren't under the same, the same pressures. The wide swathes of, of, of rural area, the relatively fractious security environment, it, it gives them a degree of freedom of movement and freedom of operation, which allows them to hold on to victims for fairly substantial periods of time. I mean, in cases featuring foreign nationals, recorded kidnaps can last years. And that's something that is, is, is fairly unique to that region and something that we expect to remain a fairly prevalent factor in, in the kidnap risk within the Sahel. Thank you, Michael. Clearly a, a complex situation. Ulimata, at the beginning, you touched on militancy trends in the region, and, and we're clearly seeing an increase in the threat posed by militant groups. Could you expand a bit on your, your earlier points? What, what is the situation here? And what, 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 what are we, how are we looking at that evolving? Yes, definitely, Anna. And so I think that when we look at how the situation is evolving, it is important to mention the expansion of the militancy in the cell. In 2021, militant groups have made inroads. They are threatening the security environment in new regions. And what we have seen is that some of these even small cells have now the ability to strike outside of the theater of operations of regional and international forces. In Mali, what we have seen are attacks in new areas of Mopti and Segu, which are the epicenter, and small cells have really been able to push southwards. We have seen sporadic attacks in northern Sikasso region. For example, since May, they have been able to carry out regular attacks against custom posts and police checkpoints, while also targeting civilian commercial convoys between cities such as Bougouni, Kuchala, and Yoroso in the Sikasso region of Mali. In recent weeks, 
We have also received reports of Islamist militants giving preachers in Kulikoro region, which is north of the capital, Bamako. In Burkina Faso, unfortunately, the country is now facing three militant fronts. Despite the alleged ceasefire agreements signed before the 2020 presidential elections, attacks have continued to escalate in at least three different geographical areas. In northern Burkina Faso, the epicenter of the militancy, there has been a series of large-scale attacks. In August, at least 65 civilians and 15 gendarmes were killed during an ambush on a convoy in the Sum province. This complex attacks really underlines the growing confidence and military capability of some of these cells. In eastern Burkina Faso, militants have continued to assert their influence over a very strategic part of the country, affecting import-export routes towards Niger, Benin, and Togo. The expansionist tactics really involve acts of intimidation, regular visits to rural areas to preach, and systematic destruction of state and religious symbols. In provinces such as Tapua, there's really a new militant front line with operations threatening the border uh, between Burkina Faso, Niger, and Benin. There's also evidence that there's a third front emerging in Burkina Faso, and this will impact the southwest regions. They've always been at least vulnerable to banditry and poaching attacks. But in the last year or year and a half, there's been an escalation of incidents in the Cascade and in the Sudwest region, which has obviously raised concerns about the tri-border area between Burkina Faso, Mali, and Northern Cote d'Ivoire becoming a new front for the militancy. And this leads me to think about the threat for coastal countries, and we believe that this will increase in the next two years. Coastal countries in West Africa face a looming threat of expanding militancy. In the last year, very small cells have been carrying out attacks in the Kai region of Western Mali. And in January 2021, the Senegalese intelligence services confirmed that they had dismantled a sleeper cell allegedly linked to Al-Qaeda affiliates in Mali in the Kidira area of Tambacounda region. So there is a concern that these small cells are really growing and being able to carry out small attacks or at least one-off attacks in isolated areas that are not under the jurisdiction of international and regional forces. It sounds as if it's sort of as well as expanding, as well as a threat expanding, it's also becoming more, I guess, diverse, different threat actors and using different methods. What are the implications for businesses there? You, you touched on the impact on import-export routes, for example. Perhaps you can elaborate a bit on that and also more broadly what it means in terms of the security situation for businesses. Yes, of course. And I believe that for businesses, obviously, this will have an impact on commercial convoys traveling on strategic import-export roads to countries such as Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger. We believe that the risk of in-transit attacks will increase as small cells make use of more sophisticated tactics, such as the use of IEDs. Islamic militant groups are really posing a challenge to supply chains that are reliant on ECOWAS ports. In Burkina Faso, for instance, just in September, we recorded two in-transit attacks on mining convoys in regions under the influence of Islamist militant groups. On September 1st, this prompted one of the major Canadian mining operators to announce that they were going to halt all road transport to and from a mining site until further notice. This decision came after convoy escorted by gendarmerie came into contact with unidentified armed men. We believe that in the coming months, areas rated high or extreme by control risk will continue to face some of these one-off attacks against convoys. And it really shows that even business operators with a high tolerance for risk will be forced to adapt to the growing threat of in-transit attacks. Michael, perhaps you can expand a bit on what that means for the kidnap risk. 
how is that sort of evolving? So one of the trends that we have seen become fairly well established as the militancy has expanded geographically is that as the militancy expands, so too does the extent of the kidnap risk. And this is in large part because kidnap groups, irrespective of whether they're criminal or militant, will often exploit the um, freedom of movement afforded to them by the, uh, the fractious security environment to carry out kidnapping on a, on a larger scale and across a wider territory. So if you take Mali as a, as a case example, in the early 2010s, most recorded abductions took place in the regions of Timbuktu, Gao, Kidal, up to the north. And as the militancy has spread, we've increasingly seen incidents become focused around regions like Mopti and, and northern Sego, which are towards the centre of the country. And this is true of, of all of the countries affected by the ongoing militancy. We do generally see the kidnapping expand further and further into the outskirts of the militancy's territory as it moves along. And even recently, we recorded a, the abduction of a group of foreign nationals in Kulikoro. There was also a group of foreign nationals that were killed during what was suspected to be an attempted kidnap in southeast Burkina Faso near the Beninese border. So this is a trend that we do expect to become increasingly prevalent over a wider geographic territory. And I, I would caveat that by saying that despite the two examples that I've just cited, local nationals will overwhelmingly be the most affected by the expansion in the kidnap risk. This is in large part primarily down to the relatively limited number of foreign nationals that are located within the Sahel. Kidnappers of all forms will nonetheless maintain a high intent and capability to target foreign nationals. But generally speaking, local nationals, whether local residents or individuals working for commercial operators, will face the highest threat as we go into the coming year. And, and as I previously mentioned, across a wider geographic range. Ulimata, can you give us a bit of a, a look ahead as to what we're expecting, how we're expecting the situation to look in the coming months, particularly in the security environment? Yes, and I believe that the existing security architecture in the cell is going to change. There will be some short-term results. However, the overall environment will continue to be very volatile. At the moment, there's a real sense that the cell is at a new crossroads. There's growing skepticism about the military heavy response. There's also widespread popular discontent about insecurity. 2022 will be a crucial year for counterterrorism operations in the region. On one hand, there's the drawdown of the French military force Barkhane. By early 2022, France will close three military bases in northern Mali, in Timbuktu, Tessalit, and Kidal, and they will reduce the number of troops deployed by at least half to go with around 2,500 or 3,000 troops. The special forces currently deployed under Operation Barkhane will be sort of transferred in support of the European Union-led task force, Takuba. The change in the French model of operation will see Niamey in Niger become the regional military hub with the joint command of the GFASL task force, Takuba and Barkhane. Operations will continue to focus on neutralizing and sort of disorganizing militants while trying to contain the expansion that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. However, we believe that civilians and commercial convoys will continue to be soft targets. In areas, as mentioned, rated high and extreme, militants have sufficient military capability to target isolated villages and commercial convoys with armed escorts. After the rainy season, we expect an uptick in militancy, which is basically around October. One last thing that I would like to mention is that the very fragile political environment will create more uncertainty about the trajectory of counterterrorism operations in the Sahel. Mali's current bid to diversify military cooperation and pursue alliances with non-Western partners will continue or could actually lead to a drastic change in the current security architecture. In the last week, we have seen how the discourse between France and Mali over military cooperation 
can really have an impact on local partners. And there's at the moment a war of words between authorities in Niamey and Bamako. In the coming year, joint counterterrorism operations, as we know them, could be very different. One security trend that is likely to become more predominant is the use of remote warfare with drones and airstrike replacing underground operations. Thank you, Ulimata. Michael, what about on the kidnap front? How are we expecting the situation to evolve there? From our perspective, the Sahel is going to remain one of the highest risk areas in Africa for kidnapping. As we previously discussed, we're expecting that threat to expand geographically with previously relatively untouched areas, recording comparatively higher rates of kidnaps. In terms of this sort of 12-month outlook, we, we do expect it to be predominantly focused around local nationals, particularly those in transit, given that individuals moving across major highways tend to be more vulnerable targets than those operating in secure compounds. But we have also seen precedent for abductions from outdoor work sites, from residential accommodations. Uh, yeah, we, we generally expect the, the threat to be fairly prescient to any and all commercial operators that are within the uh, territory that's affected by the militancy. Clearly a, a worrying situation, and I know one that we will continue to monitor closely as the situation evolves. So thank you both of you. Thank you, Ulimata. Thank you, Michael, for that very insightful discussion. And for our listeners, do please get in touch if you have any questions or would like our support in the region. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.